Welcome in to the latest edition of Catfish Corner, the Tennesseans Predators podcast. I am Adam Vingan, Predators reporter for USA Today Network Tennessee, joined for the first time in a while by our well-traveled columnist Joe Rexroad back from Korea. Joe, how was your Olympic experience? Hello, Adam. Good to be back. It was it was great. I'd never done the Winter Olympics before, and it's it was a real true Winter Olympics. It was actually cold there, <laughs> so that part wasn't great, but a lot of, you know, you cover a lot of things, but the, the coolest thing to me was definitely the U.S.-Canada women's gold medal game. I mean, that's, I don't know, I, I've got to figure this out at some point. You know, everybody, like, ranks their top five, whatever. It's definitely my top five games I've ever covered. I don't think it'll ever come out of it either because it was so, you know, when you have a big game, rivals, and they know it's going to be them for the championship, that's one thing. When you know that it's really every four years that it, really counts even though it's that's kind of unfair because the world championships are huge but you know the whole world watches when it's the olympics so the stakes are so high in that game and you could see it and it was so well played frankly i'll admit it i didn't realize how good those teams were how good those players are they are incredible and the way it ended i know a lot of people say you know it shouldn't end in a shootout and in general i agree with that except they played 20 minutes of four on four and I, I couldn't. I could barely watch it anymore. I was exhausted from watching it. They were toast, you know. And actually, Canada in particular was. I mean, you know, the U.S. team dominated overtime. So even though you know the Canadians after the game were sort of like, you know, this should have been decided this way. Probably better for them. They gave them a better chance to win the game. And frankly, the shootout was amazing. It was awesome. Oops, I, mean, I did it again, right? Oops, I did it again. Exactly. Yeah. So the so she had another move that was oops, I did it. Ah. So and then and then this was like the I guess you add because I mean it was like four moves you know she got a retweet from Britney Spears I think Britney Spears did tweet about it the next day yeah so yes. there you go so yeah but the oops I did it again I mean that that move was just ridiculous so, well we, filthy we will certainly talk about uh, your Olympic experience later on the show as it relates to the Nashville Predators but let's start with the Nashville Predators which is why we're here a two nothing victory against the Dallas Stars on Tuesday at Bridgestone Arena franchise record ninth consecutive victory. It's the second longest winning streak in the NHL this season, the first being Colorado Avalanche. Won 10 consecutive games earlier this season, and the Avalanche gave the Predators a heck of a game on Sunday in Denver at the end of the Predators' four-game road trip. So you wrote the column the other day, Everything is Awesome, props to the Lego movie. Quality film, I think. I remember taking my dad to that. He was not, you know, my dad in his mid-50s He wasn't time, excited. Was not excited, but then he got there, and he he really enjoyed it. He had a good time. Um, good but movie. anyway, everything is awesome, as you said, for the Predators. You know, it, you look at this winning streak, and it's very hard to find anything to point out in terms of things they need to correct. It would require some serious nitpicking. Uh, maybe it would be the fact that they've had to come from behind so often, but then again, you see their resilience from coming from behind. Uh, you know, if you take the first three games of the road trip against Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Vancouver, winning games on the road when trailing by two goals in each, that's only the second time in NHL history a team has ever done that. And if you include the Avalanche game where they were leading after two, if I recall correctly, or it's tied after Tied, two. I think it was tied. It was tied after yeah. two. I cover so many games, sometimes I forget. It was tied after two, and they were trailing late in the, in, in the game before Ryan Ellis tied the score. If you include that game in the four games, it's the 10th time in NHL history a team has won four consecutive road games when trailing in each. So 
NHL history made on that trip, as well as the return of Mike Fisher, as well as David Poyle's histori- hist- uh, history-making victory, 1,320 as a general manager. Pecorine 300. Pecorine 300 there. milestone <laughs> right before. So, yeah, you're, you're running out of milestones. Um, the point is that if you look at the Predators now, and I wrote a story about this for the website on Wednesday morning. You have to wonder now if this year's version of the Predators is the best in franchise history. I think on paper, in terms of the roster, it certainly is. Uh, But in terms of points, they still have a little bit of ways to go. The 2006-07 team had 110 points. But the Predators actually only need to play at a 500 points percentage pace the rest of the way. They need only 16 of the 32 remaining points to be the best team in franchise history at 111 points. That being said... You know, you were, you've been, you came back right on, you came back right on time to see this team sort of take off. What have been your impressions and what has been the biggest takeaway in terms of why this team all of a sudden is practically unbeatable? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I have one, but I, I think, first of all, there's just a swagger. There's, there's that confidence. There definitely that is going a swagger. Yes. Yeah. But it's a, you know, like it's a good it's swagger. It's not a cockiness. Yeah. It's know? a good swagger. Um, but, Think about how they're winning and how they're changing the lineup every game, too. I mean, it's like, well, tourists, take the night off. I know Yossi's a little bit banged up right yes. now, but so maybe that's a Not little bit more. Not expected to be serious, by the way. Yeah, but he could probably play there in the playoffs. Yes, like, yeah, I believe you, if we're for a playoff situation, he would be playing. Because to me, Roman Yossi, and you know better than me, you've been at all these games, but watching, you know, mostly on TV, except when they're home, but I feel like he, you know, we've talked about P.K. Subban. You know, early in the year for yeah. the North, but but Roman Yossi seems to be such a driving force. And then you just take him out, and everything's fine. Uh, I mean, Ryan Ellis, you know, of course, has two straight, you know, clutch goals. Yeah, he's actually here's another random statistical nugget because you know how much that's I a love good, those. yeah another milestone. Yes, so he's the second he by scoring the late tying goals against Vancouver in Colorado, he became the second defenseman in NHL history to score tying goals with three minutes or less remaining in regulation in consecutive games. It's very random. I love those random things, That's as people know. Um, but r- to your point, Roman Yossi, you know, lost in that 6-5 game against Winnipeg, which was absolutely insane. Oh, he just had five assists. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. I mean, he had 12 points in six games, uh, in a six-game stretch. And, I, and you're right. You know, P.K. Subban has sort of slowed over the past couple of weeks. Roman Yossi has taken off. And that sort of goes back to an article I wrote a couple of weeks ago about how these guys are sort of splitting the votes for each other, particularly for the Norris, because you have so many good defensemen on this team, it's hard to choose one outright. So to your point, yes, Roman Yossi has uh, sort of, before the injury caught up to him, uh, he had he had started surging in the points perspective. And another thing about this team is they can win every way, too. Yes. They can get into a fire wagon game with Winnipeg and, and outscore them. I mean, we just covered the Dallas game. That's a really explosive team. That team has some really good forwards, and they just – I mean, Pecorino gets a seventh shutout, did a great job, but how many high-danger chances did he see? They just snuffed them out. Not a ton. Not a ton. So they can do that without Yossi, and then they can play the other way. Without tourists. Without tourists. They can play the other way. They can play any way and win. So, I I mean, mean, look, you you want to find some negatives. I mean, you really do. You can't. It's hard. But right now, it's just you know, as long as they can stay healthy. Yeah. And and I I feel like they're. I think Peter Laviolette is certainly thinking big picture, long term, resting everyone. That should that should pay off in the spring. Yeah. I mean, they're, they they Winnipeg continues to win as well. So the Predators are sort of maintaining their lead against the Jets. The Knights have sort of faltered. I think they've lost three or four, or four or five. So. 
the Vegas Golden Knights perhaps reality setting in. They're still a very good team, but you know, to think that they would have won the Western Conference in their first season, that isn't to say that they're they can't. There's still three, you know, at least four or five weeks left in the season, but it seems like they're they're settling. They're you know they're coming down a little bit. So the Predators are in a good position, you know, to continue to win and and allow. Uh, players to rest. And Peter Laviolette first started doing that in Vancouver when he sat out Roman Yossi, Craig Smith, Scott Hartnell, and Yannick Weber. For example, he did not play Mike Fisher in the game against Colorado after he made his debut in Vancouver. He did not play Kyle Turris against the Stars. Craig Smith did not play against the Canucks and the Avalanche, but played uh, against the Stars. Peter Laviolette has made it clear that unless there's an injury to report that these players are sitting out for maintenance reasons. You know, my understanding is is that if these players aren't listed as injured, like Roman Yossi currently is, as day-to-day with an upper body injury, they are available to him. So Tyle Turris was, was available to the Predators and could have played against the Stars, but Peter Laviolette felt to give him a de- give him the night off. And Mike Fisher slid in there. Uh, and looked pretty and good, looked pretty good. And he's looked great, uh, you know, in his first two games. I think he's playing the role he should be playing. The fact that this team has... Ryan Johansson and Nick Bonino and Kyle Turris, I think, helps Mike Fisher because he doesn't have to play that role. But he's averaged around 11 minutes in each game. He had a quieter night against Dallas than he did against Vancouver, of course. He still he made a couple plays, though, that yeah. you're like, The oh, backhand yeah. pass out of the penalty box to Ryan Johansson, Johansson for the backhand it, yeah. was, was quite nice. Uh, but you mentioned Pecorino, and I want to get to that. Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting in the radio box at Pepsi Center in Denver, getting ready to do a pregame with Darren McFarland on 102.5. And the replay from your time on Jared and the GM with Jared Stillman is playing ahead of ahead of the pregame broadcast. And I had my headphones in, so I was listening. And you two were having a conversation about whether or not Pecorine deserves Hart Trophy or MVP consideration. Now, you know, I, from what I understand, Jared believed that you know, that Pecorine should be a shoe-in for at least consideration. I think your opinion was less so. Yeah. I, I, just, I, I rarely think of goaltenders yes. at the heart, and I usually think of them when they carry a team. Yes, I think that that's... wouldn't be winning otherwise, and I don't think that's the case. Yes, here. I think Pecorine and, and Andre Vasilevsky of Tampa Bay are the clear front runners for the Vezina, and by Pekka winning last night, earning his seventh shutout, which tied his career high, and Vasilevsky for the league lead, it was actually also his 50th career shutout. And I saw a statistic this morning that he's only one of five goaltenders in NHL history born outside of North America to have at least 50 shutouts. So there's something else for you. But you're right. Goaltenders are very rarely MVP. I know Carey Price won the heart a couple of years ago with the Montreal Canadiens. If you go back about 15, 16 years, Jose Theodore, also of Montreal. So you have to be a Montreal Yeah, you have to be a Montreal thing. goaltender yeah. to win the Hart Trophy. But you're right, and here's my here's my argument against Pekka as a Hart Trophy uh, finalist. It boiled down to its essence because you can look at all of the major statistics, goals against, and save percentage. You can dive into it deeper, like high danger save percentage, low danger save percentage, even strength save percentage. If you were to give Pekka Rene league average numbers, just take the league average goals against average and the league average save percentage, and just give it to him, this team would still be very good. Like they may not be winning eight games, nine games in a row, and you know at the top of the standings, but they would still be in that conversation. That's why I believe that he, while he's had a great season, no doubt, and he has saved their butts more than once. That's why I don't believe that he is on my ballot because I, that is a that is an award that I vote for. In my personal opinion, as of today, my my Hart Trophy finalist, my my recipient is Taylor Hall of the New Jersey Devils because. 
I believe he's scored a point in 26 consecutive games. You know, he's got he's got like a 20 plus point lead on the next leading score on the New Jersey Devils. You know, Corey Schneider, who's a great goaltender, has missed a lot of games this season because of injury. If they did not have Taylor Hall, they would not be in the playoff conversation at all. So so you because I know pe- different people look at these things differently. You look at it as value to team. Correct. I mean, I think that's a good way to look they at the ten, it. The ten Some people are yeah. just like, you know, best player, the Ted or Lindsay best player Award. on best team yeah. or yeah, whatever. The Ted Lindsay Award, which is voted on by players by the NHLPA, that's for most outstanding player. That's a player voted award for best player in the league. Personally, and it's it's always you know it's a. Pedantic. If you took the player off the yeah. team, it's a what it's would a it shallow. Do? It's it's you know it's an argument we have all the time in every sport. You know, yeah. but you know whether or not it's you know a pedantic argument is is you know up for discussion. But for me, it's most valuable to the team. Like here's also the devil because it's it's appropriate because the Devils are going to be here on Saturday to play the Predators. The Predators played the Devils in New Jersey the day the game before the All Star break. Taylor Hall did not play in that game, and the Predators won four nothing. And the Devils didn't really look that good. If the Devils would not be, they they shouldn't be where they are. A lot of people at the beginning of the season picked them to not even be close to having a playoff opportunity. And so, if but that's the other thing. In my personal opinion, you have to your team has to make the playoffs. Like I think Taylor Hall would still be a Hart Trophy on my ballot. You choose five players. He would still be on my ballot, but he would not be number one if they don't make the playoffs. The other player in that same position is Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche because he's having a fabulous season. That team was absolutely terrible last year, and they could make the playoffs this year on the back of his fabulous season. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've covered sports long enough. I mean, what are you, what's your rationale for an MVP? Is it most valuable to the team, best player? Does the player, if it, there's a playoff format, does a team have to make the playoffs in order for the player to be eligible? What's, if you were voting for this award or any award that you have voted for, what's your rationale behind it? Yeah, I think of it a lot like you do. I, I think you can't, if you're, a, if you're a great player on an awful team, I think that counts against you. And I think that you have to look at support around a player and you have to, the, you know, I, I, it is most valuable player, so it should be value. I look at the heart with goalies kind of like, Kind of like in baseball, not many pitchers win MVP. They have the Cy Young. I think pitchers value the Cy Young more. Actually, I talked to Pecorino after the Dallas game about the Vezina a little bit. And, you know, of course, Pekka's not like about himself in individual wars, but he said like, and, you know, everybody who's ever won a Vezina is like a legendary goalie. Yeah, in my he's been mind. a finalist so, three times. Yeah, so like it before. does. I think he would care more about the Vezina than the heart. That's how I would distinguish those two things. And, yeah, I, I agree with you on, on in general on MVP. And I think with Pekka, and maybe this will hurt him with the Vezina too. I don't know. But you also look at the defense core. Yes. And so are people going to hold that against him? Like you have you have that in front of you. So even though a lot of what makes this defense core great is is how they initiate offense, right. that doesn't which, really which that doesn't necessarily leave them susceptible to. And sometimes it does. does. Yes, but, know, he, but he makes those saves. But he there's makes, yes, but there's still the 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 uh, perception of man. If you have that defense core, then right. you should be better off. But right. uh, but I I don't think that you can. I, mean, I think the Vezina is going to be fascinating, and I don't I can't sit here and say definitively either guy is a clear favorite. But I think this last I think that's one of the big storylines of this last month right. and they're good and they presumably neck and neck right yeah, now they'll presumably go head to head in april right uh when the when the predators visit tampa to start that's a for the Vezina. Trip, right? it's for so the go, president's I mean, cup and the yes, Vezina all yes. one day and you know and the other goaltender that i would throw into that conversation though he's not the you know not the i don't think he's on the same level is connor hellebuck yeah. of the winnipeg jets he he would be my third i think in that it, but i you know i 
the I don't vote for the Vezina. I've, the general managers choose the Vezina, so that's not for me to decide. But I certainly think that Pekka and Andre Vasilevsky are the front, clear front runners for that award. So you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about your Olympic Olympic experience, and because of that. And you mentioned you watched the women's game live, which was a great game, but you also had an opportunity to watch a lot of men's hockey. Um, and you did have the opportunity, which not a lot of us have had yet, to watch Ellie Tolvanen play live hockey. Now, we're on Tolvanen watch around here. His team, <laughs> uh, as we speak, is up two games to one in their first round playoff series of the best of seven. So in order for his season to end, uh, his, uh, the team HC Sochi, which is the team that Jokerit is playing, would have to win the next three games. So the earliest that the that the uh, that Tolvanen season could end as of this moment is March 11th. You know, he told European reporters that he intends to come over here as soon as the season is over. I mean, he has a three-year entry-level contract. That's all waiting for him because that's what he has to sign in this situation. I asked David Poyle about that uh, last week in Edmonton because that's where I saw the, the report from Europe. And while he certainly said that that's what their hope is, that he couldn't comment further because uh, presumably because Tolvanen is still under contract in the KHL and you don't want to say anything that could be considered tampering or anything like that. I did speak to Tolvanen's agent, Jay Grossman, who said the same thing, that their collective goal is to make sure that Tolvanen comes to the Predators at the end of the season, but they're still working on it and that Tolvanen's focus is on the KHL playoffs. But that being said, there's a lot of excitement about Ellie Tolvanen around here, especially after we saw what he did in the Olympics. Uh, nine points in five games, if I recall correctly. Th- uh, you know, had three goals in the, you know, six points in the first two games. I think you get to see him play. What were your impressions of him? Yeah. Well, first of all, a quick story about, and I got to talk to him a little bit. Wrote a, wrote a couple things write a about column, him. Yes. But you know, they have these things called the mix zone after the game. So basically, it's like a little short fence that you have to grab the athletes as they walk yes, to the locker. No locker you have to gra- Yeah, you have to grab them. So you know, I was like the one person's like English, please. So I was like, I got a few questions, and then like I was absolutely basically crushed by the Finnish media. Like they were all around me, and I had to like go like underneath them and sneak out the back as they started barking. And you're a other- big dude. You're not. You're right. an imposing figure. You know. And I still had to go like yes. tunnel under backwards underneath them. Yes. But yeah, there was a lot of excitement in Finland about Ellie Tolvanen. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, my impression, first of all, I think long term, I think, I think he's a top six guy. I mean, I, and that's what David Poyle sees him as too. And you know, I, I just, I think he has, he has a special shot. I mean, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. Wicked. It's yeah. wicked. And, the thing that maybe was most impressive to me was him on the power play, his feel and some of the passes he made. And I think he right now could come here and help in that way. Now, can he, can you trust him in all aspects of the game right now as an 18 year old? I mean, I think some of the knocks on him have been maybe is he a little nonchalant, a little cocky? I mean, I heard some of that stuff when he fell in the draft. Yes. Look, so I think you need to temper your expectations of, He's not going to come in here and like take over the playoffs, but could he be on a maybe a little bit smaller scale, a little bit of what Fiala was last playoff? Maybe that's being a little yeah, too maybe optimistic. Maybe like a high, like maybe more uh, like a more high powered version of Freddie Goudreau. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Like, that's probably more yeah. like not like as you said. I don't. I don't think that Ellie Tolvanen is going to pull this team to a Stanley Cup final, right? Because players in his position in the past you know, have contributed to playoff teams, but haven't been like the focal point. And you don't need him to be the focal point on this team. But like, yes, if you have him, you know, maybe that first round surge that Kevin Fiala had before he broke his leg. Or if you have 
the same sort of contributions that Freddie Goudreau had, even though Tolvanen is more skilled than Freddie Goudreau. Like that, I, that's a good spot for him. But you know, the question is, you know, they've already had to make tough decisions. Yeah. You know, are you going to toy with uh, with the top six because you know that how good Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson are? You see how great Fiala, Turris, and Smith have been. I mean, do you do you break that up? Is Tolvanen a third line player? Probably not. But you know that again brings that balance into it. I mean, let's just say you know you move Fiala down and put Tolvan in with Turris and Smith hypothetically. You know, having Fiala on the line with Nick Bonino and Cali Arncroke, that's a fantastic depth. Yeah. And then you still have Austin Watson and Colton Sissons and all Mike, of that Mike stuff. Mike Fisher yes. and on and on. No, it's going to be interesting. But you know what? Some of these decisions are going to be made for Peter Laviolette. We know that, right? Yes. In a play, in a deep playoff run, yeah, you know, people get hurt. So just to have that extra piece would would to me just be very valuable yes. all right well we have to wrap this up thank you for listening to the latest edition of catfish quarter the tennessee inspirators podcast you can follow me on twitter at adam vingan joe rexroad at joe rexroad and we'll continue to follow this team as potentially they win nine more games in a row it certainly looks like they could do that but continue to follow both of us and all of the predators coverage at tennessean.com